Welcome to the PaxX Podcast, available on iTunes. This is episode 48 of the show where we talk about everything to do with the passenger experience. I am Mary Kirby, and I'm joined by my co-host, Max Flight. Max, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Mary. It's it's 84 degrees in the recording studio here, but uh, I'm so excited about this episode of the PaxX Podcast. The temperature doesn't matter. I'm ready to go. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. It's a bit of a dog days of summer right now, but uh, this is going to be a good one, Max. Before we get started, we'd like to thank the Jetliner Cabins ebook app for sponsoring this week's podcast, The Concorde. It was impossible to ignore the beautiful shape of the world's first and only supersonic passenger jetliner as it roared overhead. But just how many of us would recognize Concorde's interior? Because of Concorde's immense speed and ultra-high-flying performance, there were many unique technical factors to consider. For inspiration, the cabin designers turned to the world of exotic super sports cars and transformed Concorde's slender cabin into a streamlined executive-style interior that was subsequently emulated by airlines worldwide. These and other vivid details make the Concorde flying experience come alive again in the Jetliner Cabins ebook app, which tells the inside story of the Concorde interior. Visit jetlinercabins.com to learn more and to download the app. Now, it's my great pleasure to introduce our guest today, a longtime aviation industry veteran with plenty of OEM experience and someone I count as a friend. John Norris works as Senior Director, Corporate Sales and Marketing for Panasonic Avionics. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you, Mary. Uh, Good to talk to you again. Good to talk to you again, Max, as well. Oh, John, it's so great to be talking with you again. It's uh, always a pleasure. After that build-up, I'm now worried. (laughs) Well, why don't we just jump right in, take a look at some of the PaxX news stories that are making headlines. First, Panasonic recently unveiled its next in-flight entertainment and connectivity system, which will debut in full on the Boeing 777X. John, what is next, and what will it mean to the passenger experience? So next is our next generation uh, IFE and connectivity system. And we've really designed it from the ground up to maximize passenger engagement as well as enhance passenger convenience. So the way we look at things, we're kind of looking at how next will shape passenger experience in four key areas. So the first thing that we're seeing is a very key trend that we see happening on the ground as well as in the air, which is what we've called the Internet of Me. It's really similar to the Internet of Things, but much more focused on personalization and and how we see the kind of travel thread moving forwards and how the passenger is going to interact with the system on board as well as um, other systems through the thread is is in a very much more hyper-personalized and contextual way that will really increase passenger loyalty, brand equity for the airlines and, and really make the kind of uh, the experience of flying on board very much frictionless with what passengers are used to doing on the ground. Okay, John. Well, this is going to debut on the 777X, but will we be able to see kind of any iterations of it before then? Um, there's elements from within our Panasonic ecosystem. So this is a, a, a phrase that we first kind of launched, announced at AREX. So our ecosystem is the sum of all the services, tools, and applications that Panasonic deliver. Uh, to our 300 plus airline customers around the world. 
So some of those elements from within the ecosystem will be available ahead of the uh, 777X. So, for example, Zero Touch, which is our system which allows us to um, upload, download media or advertising collateral, for example, software uh, to aircraft in service, will first go into service with Southwest this summer on their 737s. Oh. Hey, hey. Um, other things as well you'll see going into service earlier. So um, 4K screens, for example, going to service the quarter 2018 on a uh, Asia-Pacific uh, long-haul carrier. So there's a lot of elements which kind of come together to make up this ecosystem that, that Next will dip into that you'll see on some of our existing product as well. So it's not a case of wait till 2020 and then all of a sudden everything's going to change. So we're phasing in these uh, services, these applications as they become ready and, and, and as the market is demanding them. That digital ecosystem is kind of a, a key feature of this, I think, uh, and a, a really interesting approach to this. Who will supply the, the components of the ecosystem? Will they all be Panasonic supplied? Well, you can kind of um, break it into different elements. So, you know, the significant majority of the hardware that we use in our systems is is our own Panasonic equipment, but we partner with a number of other vendors who provide elements of that equipment or elements of those systems. Um, the A significant proportion of the core software and applications are built in-house, but again, we have a number of uh, suppliers who support us with that. Um, one of the things we're really looking to leverage going forwards is our Panasonic developer platform, which in essence will allow us to provide um, APIs, SDK, software development kits to third-party vendors who will be able to create um, you know, bespoke applications which will integrate with our onboard systems. So a good example of that is the work we did recently with Singapore Airlines a third-party design house um, to create their uh, the companion app, which is now flying on Singapore. Wow, that's huge. That's kind of where I was going with this, John, is to uh, kind of probe a little bit and see if there would be opportunities for other developers to uh, join in and become a part of this ecosystem. Of course, uh, like we see in other businesses, when you have that kind of vibrant developer community out there, it leads to all kinds of just interesting applications, things that you can't imagine right now. So that's very powerful. No, absolutely. I think digital is really, you know, the kind of where it's at and where we're going. Um, you know, when you talk to airlines now, you're talking to people like chief digital officers, chief, um, you know, chief revenue, chief um, innovation officers. The, the way an airline now approaches its business, it's all around digital. It's all around mobile. You know, we're not just limited to what you do on the aircraft, but these digital mobile systems need to communicate with what's happening on the aircraft, what's happening on the ground. So the kind of things we take for granted in a digital world on the ground, things like um, immediate accessibility to media, um, you know, dynamic advertising, micro moments so that contextual advertising, contextual offers, you know, you're browsing on one particular application in your browser and you're seeing whatever it was that you looked on Amazon, you know, 10 minutes ago on a different browser, you know, everything is kind of pulled together. So that dynamic um, blend and mix of hyper-personalized contextual information and services, that's what's going to be expected on the, uh, you know, the, for, the, for the passengers from, you know, 2019 onwards. And it's not just the, what the passenger expectation is in terms of entertainment and media and connectivity. 
it's what it enables for the airline in terms of opportunities, you know, to grow loyalty, to increase load factor, uh, you know, ticket price, ancillary revenue, things like that. John, is there a formal process for developers that might want to work with Panasonic? If there were anyone listening right now that would be keen on that, is there? Do you have a pro- process in place? Yeah, there is a process in place where um, it's it basically the um, the input would come via an airline customer who would make a recommendation to us of the third party that they would like to work with. And um, we can then talk to them to provide them access to our SDKs. Interesting. John, what needs to be done between now and introduction of Next in, in the 2019-2020 timeframe? Well, we're, we're very actively um, involved at the moment in the development of the the new hardware i mean on a on a hardware perspective it's more an evolution of the um multiple generations of systems that we've had you know it's an evolution rather than a revolution um where we're getting to in the kind of ife connectivity world is you know we're moving away from being very much hardware centric and focusing on what the system is and really more moving to what the system does you know i'd love to get to the point where we could really genuinely be hardware agnostic but you know with the rate and change of of hardware and consumer electronics we have to keep a very clear view on what's going on there but we're essentially putting together a hardware platform which sits in the background and enables all these things in the ecosystem so we're planning to you know we're planning with innovation evolution in mind um so that we have a a strong platform which can enable, provide us a lot more flexibility in terms of what airlines want to do, you know, provide things like the ability to select what features and functionality they might like to have on a particular route or for a specific subfleet or a specific, you know, period of time. So let's say you get to the point where they could have, they could, by the flick of a switch, you know, figuratively, you know, by enabling a service via software, switch live TV on, for example, during the World Cup and then decide, okay, we're not going to do that anymore. We actually want to more focus on ancillary revenue or we want to focus on hospitality. So we're building into the system the flexibility to be able to change things far more rapidly and to be allow airlines to be a lot more proactive and, and reactive to market forces, something that today for those of us who've been involved in aviation for a while, you know, these things take a considerable length of time and our whole mechanism as an industry needs to improve in terms of how we can quickly change and provide that flexibility to airlines. Hmm. Scalable and modular. Scalable and modular. Yeah. So scale, I mean, that, they're two big key phrases for us. So scalable because Next isn't just a system for widebody. I mean, it will go into service for 777X, but it will expand and be offerable on other aircraft types. I know we're going to talk about offerability in a bit, but you know, it's going to be rolled out on A350, on, on, on 787, and then on narrowbody aircraft as well. So it's scalable because it scales for different aircraft types and different aircraft sizes. It's also scalable because it can provide everything from um, purely streaming to passenger devices through to... Uh, complete aircraft 4K screens and everything in between. So we have a platform, a, 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 an architecture that would allow us, for example, on a four-class aircraft to have what would appear to be four completely different IFE solutions, but all running off the same head-end. I see, I see. So what you're saying, for example, is maybe if an airline were to decide to do kind of just a streaming-only in economy, 
uh, and then an in-seat kind of solution in premium. There's a lot of flexibility. Is that what you mean? No, you absolutely. Can kind of stack the functionality, really. You can you can stack the functionality. Okay. That's a good way of putting it. And also, as the industry, or let's say as the market changes, you may find that um, you want to augment what was just a wireless aircraft and say, okay, this is going from a narrow-body aircraft going from single class to dual class and actually we want to put seat back in the business class Mm -hmm. you know in premium the system is designed so that without changing the whole backbone of the aircraft you could then in a in a flexible manner realistically put seat back screens in that business class and then have and connectivity and then just have connectivity uh, have streaming sorry you know at the back of the aircraft so we're trying to build in that flexibility we're also trying to build in longevity which is a big challenge in the days of consumer electronics how can we make it easier to upgrade the system you know so the backbone that you put in the aircraft really ideally needs to last for the life of the aircraft you know so next will be powered by a 10 gigabit per second backbone so it's going to be able to cope for the kind of screen resolutions that we haven't even thought about today that's Mm. built in up front but we're putting other things into place which will allow us to more rapidly and allow our airlines more rapidly to update screens for example so they could go into service with a 1080p high definition screen decide that when 4k content becomes more readily available they would upgrade the screens to 4k and they can do that without changing the rest of the system that that's something today which current systems don't provide that level of flexibility conversely the system is built so that they could say okay we're going to get ahead of the curve we're going to service with 4k the screens are built in with upscaling so we can run 1080p content and upscale it dynamically so it provides a 4k like resolution um that's that's something we've been demonstrating um on some with some of our r&d projects which are feeding into next uh, it's it's yeah an interesting challenge trying to keep ahead of the curve. I mean, you know, just look at mobile phones. How quickly do they update in terms yeah. of uh, in terms of technology? And and now, we the travelling public judge what we see on a seat back by what we have in our hands as our personal device. Sure, sure. Well, John, we certainly hear a lot about how nose to tail connectivity on aircraft will improve operations and maybe safety as well. And uh, as you're noting, Panasonic's on the forefront of this aircraft e-enablement, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you give us uh, an update? Are, are there some other areas of progress being made here, and how are the airlines benefiting? Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. There, there's, a, there's a huge amount of development going on, and I would say exploration by the airlines in looking at what a connected aircraft can do. I mean, if we rewind 10 years connectivity when it first came out was going to make lots of money from the passengers it was all about ancillary revenue it was all it was going to be amazing and you know that that's the kind of business model you know that was kind of presented let's say 10 years ago things moved on we went through another iteration where it was clear that the traveling public are becoming less and less you know keen to pay for a pay for internet you know my teenage daughters believe that internet is probably more important than food and water um, <laughs> it's a human of, right john exactly it's a human <laughs> right it must it must uh, you know it must be there so the whole model is changing and i think where we are we're, we're at this inflection point now where on the back of the investment that uh, you know we make our airline customers make for connectivity you can provide 
um, you know, some exceptional uh, passenger experience and entertainment. But in parallel with the capacity and the system you put on, there's all of these other connected aircraft benefits. So, you know, you're seeing things within our ecosystem, for example, like real-time weather. You know, so dynamic weather updates, which would allow an airline, for example, to optimize routing to avoid, um, you know, bad weather situations. We've got systems which will allow us to um, uh, really optimize, you know, rate of climb and descent into, you know, into different airports to help from that point of view. You've got things like cockpit data and voice, mobile crew services. So, you know, crew to ground, um, on board, you know, so that there's much more dynamic, instantaneous communication of, of what's happening on the aircraft versus, you know, what's going on with operations. Um, flight tracking is, a, is another obvious thing. And then you get into other stuff, which is more focused directly on, you know, passenger as well. Things like passenger analytics. How do we take real time um, data of what the passengers are doing, what they've done in the past and optimize the service? You know, how do we optimize, you know, shopping, hospitality? How do we dynamically reduce food wastage by making sure that we always understand that, you know, turkey sandwiches aren't popular on the LAX to JFK route, but on JFK to Boston, you've got to have turkey sandwiches. You know, how do you stop the excess turkey sandwiches being thrown away? Um, advertising is huge uh, in terms of, and sorry, revenue. And, and if you can, because the aircraft is connected in flight, you can dynamically update and tailor advertising to specific passengers on board, then that opens up, uh, you know, huge potential. Um, Real-time system health information, near monitoring things like or using our pipe to transmit, for example, engine performance data or system data or, you know, IFE data and, and what's been happening on time. Uh, I mentioned zero touch earlier, dynamic content update. Wouldn't it be great if your premium passengers, they could open their, the, the airline app in the lounge, choose what they wanted to view on the aircraft, and even if it wasn't scheduled to be on the aircraft, it could be dynamically loaded to their seat back screen such that when they're in flight, they get a confirmation to say, hey, you wanted to watch Boondock Saints, it's now on the aircraft. So that's kind of where we're going. So there's a whole bunch of things that now you kind of take the connected that, that the aircraft is going to be connected for granted there's a lot of um, you know features and function functionalities which are enabled John as journalists um, you know we find that the airlines like to keep uh, some of how they're exploiting the pipe uh, from an operational standpoint some of that close to their chest uh, they don't necessarily want to go into deep dive details um, for proprietary reasons, for competitive reasons, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But Finnair's CEO recently told us that uh, in using Panasonic in-flight connectivity with uh, Alipay, uh, the Chinese mobile payment app, they have seen uh, in-flight sales increase 100% on their China flights, which I thought, wow, here's kind of this verifiable, tangible uh use of connectivity to improve operations and the bottom line. Do you think we're going to see more of that? And absolutely. I think real-time payment validation and, and really not just the credit card validation, but more the alternative payment technologies. Yeah. Um, you know, things like Apple Pay or Google Pay or, um, you know, PayPal, Alipay you mentioned. Um, the traveling public, you know, as a whole, we're pretty lazy. If, if we had to get up and get our credit card out of our wallet, or, oh dear, the wallet's in the bag overhead and stand up, you get friction in terms of spending money. Yeah. If you can remove that friction 
and you know make it a really pleasant experience and you know there's it's as easy to spend money as it is on the ground then that ultimately is going to lead to more sales whatever it is that you're selling if you're selling you know time on the portal if your wi-fi access if it's shopping whatever it may be getting rid of that friction really does bring significant benefit it also means that because the payments are validated airlines can start to be more creative and you know offer a range of different products and services um you know which maybe are a higher value that they wouldn't want to offer because of the risk of um non-payment boy it seems like it wasn't too long ago that we longed for a time when the the experience on board was as good as the experience at home and now it seems like the experience on board may be surpassing the experience we we have at home what a you know what a great strategy i'm not i mean i'm not sure in terms of performance we will exceed the kind of performance at home you know particularly from a kind of a wi-fi connectivity point of view i know some of our competitors would uh, contradict me on that but you know, with the rate of change of what's happening on the ground. Um, but where we are going is, you know, we're starting to approach a good level of service so that these other features and functionalities can really happen, you know, on board the aircraft. John, it's expensive at the end of the day to uh, provide satellite-based connectivity to aircraft tubes that are flying 500 yep. miles an hour. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not cheap. I mean, and and, and our, our friend at Finnair even even said as much. And and in, in interviews uh, over the last six months with with various airlines, that's one thing that they do flag up. So, is it a matter of kind of getting creative with how you use the pipe as well? Then, oh no, no absolutely. I think where there's, there's a lot more sophisticated modeling going on now, um, you know, within vendors and within airlines in terms of how you represent the net present value of having a connected aircraft. You know, the sum is greater than the parts. There's not going to be one element of a service which is going to build the business case for, you know, covering the capex cost of putting connectivity on an aircraft. But as you start to dial in multiple features and functionalities that can be complementary or offer different services to different parts of, you know, your passengers, different groups of the passengers, then you start to build up a stronger and stronger business case. And I, you know, I'm confident we will get to the point where, um, you know, costs are covered completely, you know, because it's not just a pure cost thing. I mean, if you look at now, you know, you look at things like, you know, Skytrax awards, you look at, um, net promoter scores and um you know loyalty how what value do you put on the loyalty which is created through a connected aircraft passenger experience you know when you sum all of those things up we're approaching the point where things are starting to make sense but it's a very different sophisticated model than 10 years ago as i mentioned you know, it's that the passenger typically the majority of passengers don't want to pay for that but there's a lot of other third parties out there and other service providers when you put this mix together where you know it starts to make a lot more sense well john let's uh, move on and talk about paxx suppliers that benefit from uh, what's called line fit offerability mm-hmm. for, with with airframers it means that their systems and services are offered as part of the airframers catalog and they can be installed for airlines on the production line but Mm-hmm. Runway Girl Network has 
observed some confusion in the market about the difference between what constitutes line fit versus retrofit. Now, John, since we have you here on the show, can you explain to our listeners what these two terms mean? In simple terms, true line fit means that in the context of an IFE or connectivity system means that the system is fully offerable on a specific aircraft type and an airline can select it when they're configuring their cabin with the airframer and that the airframer, Boeing Airbus, for example, will build that system into the aircraft on the production line. So it will be delivered and at transfer of title entry into service, the system is fully operational and has been qualified, certified by that airframer so there is no need to take that aircraft out of service to complete the system build so retrofit is where um, either nothing has been installed on the production line of the aircraft so you know there are retrofits which are done immediately after a new aircraft is delivered from an airframer you know for example it may go to a third party um, MRO, where they may install, for example, an IFE system or a connectivity system that isn't line fit available at the airframer. And that may mean that the aircraft is taken out of service for a few days or as much as a couple of weeks to do that installation. So it's actually preventing the aircraft from going into service um, immediately after delivery. And the kind of halfway house now that, that some of our competition would employ is what's called line fit provisions. So that's like a halfway house between full line fit and retrofit. And that's, for example, where if we take the, um, if we take a, an antenna, a, a connectivity antenna, structural provisions may be installed on the fuselage by the airframer. So the fuselage is reinforced and, for example, the antenna mounting plate is, is placed there. But the antenna itself isn't installed. So the aircraft is delivered in a um, say partial completeness for the system, for the connectivity system, and it then is a retrofit activity via a third-party um, MRO, as I said, which would then install the antenna and put it into service. So, you know, it's, it is quite a, let's say, it's a rigorous process that, the, that vendors go through to make their equipment, their systems available line-fit. And I think one of the things which probably isn't fully understood is that um, uh, the level of qualification and certification that you have to go through to get approval from an airframer for line fit is above the level of qualification and certification required for retrofit because airframers tend to have higher levels of expectations of how um, that system should interact be integrated with their aircraft does that make uh line fit lower cost than retrofit for any given system i i think in terms of cost i would um kind of defer to the airframer um there's there's from a cost point of view purely cost point of view there are pros and cons of doing it either an installation line fit or retrofit you know, there are airlines who will opt for a system for whatever reason that isn't currently line fit available. They see a benefit of it. So their only option is to do it retrofit. What I would say is that um, 
line fit installations tend to increase aircraft residual value um, as compared to retrofit installations because you know they've had the complete and utter blessing of the airframer and as i said the the level of um, uh, qualification and certification by the airframer is at a higher level hence you know it people who you know deal with aircraft tend to prefer taking line fit installed systems because they know that they've been through the mill, as it were, at the airframer. Um, the other thing is the the big challenge as well is if you're an airline and you you know you've invested very heavily in an, in an aircraft to be delivered, the idea of not having revenue service from that aircraft for a few weeks because you're doing a retrofit installation um, is not a um, is is a is a significant cost that you know, needs to be taken into account when you're looking at the overall cost of things. So that's got to be something that the aircraft lessers are considering then, John. Yeah, no, I mean, aircraft lessers tend to um, pretty much always, and I'm sure there's exceptions, but pretty much always take line fit. Um, whereas, you know, they will, of course, you know, once the aircraft changes hands at the end of the first lease, then, yeah, they're into a retrofit situation. When I'm talking about retrofit now, I'm really talking about immediate retrofit post-delivery. And so, you know, there, there are a lot of benefits for having line fit. And, and you know, um, we certainly believe um, that line fit provides considerable value to our customers. So, you know, our overhead seat back and wireless IFE systems, as, as well as our connectivity systems, are available for full line fit across all Airbus and Boeing aircraft types. And as you reported this week, Mary, we're also operable are offerable on um, both Embraer and Bombardier. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, our deputy editor, John Walton, has delivered this piece uh, where he interviewed both Bombardier and Embraer at the Paris Air Show. And uh, they said that they've been working with Panasonic really closely uh, from the kind of beginning of the C-Series and E2 programs that you guys kind of get in there early uh, so that, uh, well, you fully understand then the, the aircraft IP and interfacing with that. That's got to be a benefit to Panasonic, John? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we want to give our um, airline customers the, the broadest choice. And, you know, clearly both those products you just mentioned, the Embraer E2 and Bombardier C-Series, are, you know, they're, they're, those are aircraft types heading to mainline, um, you know, airlines. Uh, and they want to see, you know, the, from an airline point of view, they want to see similar familiar systems and, you know, um, passenger experience functionality on those aircraft as well as their, you know, uh, larger narrow body and wide body aircraft. So though for us, naturally, it's, it's a very, very good fit. And it's one of these things that, um, you know, if you don't engage early, um, you know, going through the offerability process for, um, you know, for an airframe that, you know, can take 18 to 24 months. It's not something that you just kind of switch on um, overnight. So it's good for us. You know, we, we see the value in it. We get in there early. You know, we're talking to some of the other airframers as well and, um, and, and, and seeing what's appropriate and, and um, you know, looking at our solutions that we offer on the market for the, for the broadest uh, range of aircraft types. 
Meanwhile, I have to say, for those of us who are, quote, hashtag hump spotters in this uh, industry, um, it's getting a little frustrating because we're seeing these kind of line fit provisions and we're not sure if anything is under the hood of those rate homes <laughs> because uh, you see an aircraft type and you're like, oh my goodness, they've, it, they've got, a, they've got a, um, a ray dome, but there might not actually be an antenna underneath it. And I know uh, Jason Rabinowitz in particular uh, gets a bit frustrated now. The proof is very much in the pudding. Um, yeah. yeah, just seeing a um, seeing a radome doesn't mean you have connectivity. It's an interesting new dynamic. Well, unfortunately, we're rapidly coming to a close. I could talk to you forever there now, John. Um, we'd <laughs> like to thank our, our listeners. And remember, you can find us online at RomeGirlNetwork.com and on iTunes. Be sure to follow all the Romeo Girl Network activity on Twitter at at Girl. And remember to use the PaxX hashtag when tweeting about the passenger experience. Join in the conversation. It is rather robust these days. I'd like to reiterate our thanks to our sponsor, the Jetliner Cabins ebook app, and I'd like to thank John for being our guest. John, where can listeners find you at? Um, well, you can find me at Panasonic and at trade shows around the world. Um, if you want to connect with me personally, best thing is via Twitter, and I'm John Norris Photog on Twitter. Very great. Yeah, John, it's always a pleasure talking with you, and uh, we, want, we hope we have an opportunity to do it again soon. Great. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It's good to talk to you, Max. Good to talk to you, Mary. Thank you. Join us again next time as we talk about the passenger experience on the PaxX Podcast. Take care, everyone. Mm-hmm.